Hey, welcome to the show. Today is the John Papaloni Show. We have special guest Tristan Wright on the show. Tristan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to have a chat today. Me as well. And I am excited to get to know about who you are and what you do. So I usually start off the podcast with that question of who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Good good question to start with. So who am I, Tristan Wright? Um, I'm a father and a business owner. So sec- running second business. So uh, I have had a big journey to get to where I am today. That's for sure. So uh, if we start out probably back in the back in the early days when I was in my early 20s, I was working as, a, as an engineer and uh, didn't necessarily love it. And I was out riding with some mates one day. And when I was out riding with my mates, I said, we want some cycling clothing uniforms. And I thought, me being me, I'll go and organize it. And I didn't didn't see any suppliers that I liked. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go direct to the manufacturers over in China. And I did that and I organized the clothing uniforms to everyone. We got them, got them uh, back into the country. And we went out for our first ride and the shorts were see-through so everyone could see our bums. So that was, a, that was definitely a lesson. Uh, but from there, I, I saw a, a gap or an opportunity to, to set up a custom clothing brand. And this was uh, in the early 2010s, or however you get yeah, the 10s. So mm-hmm. I, I, it's not the 20s or the 30s. I don't know. How, how do you say that? So it's not the noughties. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, so I set, set, that, uh, set that business up and I was running – I. Um, yeah, working my day job, I'd finish my day job, uh, come home and work work in the evenings from the kitchen table. And I, uh, so selling custom sportswear to institutes of sports, uh, uh, state state groups um, and big corporate companies. And before long, I was doing three or 400 grand per annum just working, uh, working in the evenings. So event, eventually went full time on that business. And it's kept kept growing. And this was still while I was in my 20s. And so I hadn't had any real hurdles. And I, I started to get arrogant. It's like, oh, yeah, running a business is easy. And what I didn't realize is that I hadn't had any, any hurdles come up or any issues. So I was very naive. And eventually it came to a point where the Aussie dollar tanked against the US dollar, uh, which meant, and I was buying product in, US dollar. Um, so that meant that uh, I lost all, a lot of my margin and I wasn't making anywhere near as much profit. And at the same time, my wife came to me and said, Hey, Tristan, uh, our marriage is over. So two major things happened at, at one time or within about a six month period. And until that period, I hadn't had any issues. So I didn't know how to deal with both of those things. So Rather than deal with it, I just stuck my head in the sand and woke up a few months later and I was about 200 grand in debt. Wow. I have to admit, That's like, a- we have that in common, right? Problem hits, stick your head in the sand and then uh, hope it goes away. Pull out your head and realize it's still there. <laughs> yes. And it's it's still there and worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, and this is all in my, my, mid, my mid-20s. Like I... I'd had lots of success, mid to late twenties. Like it's a, it was a journey to be on, and I, I was I'm not going to 
lie. I was I was arrogant. I thought I was I thought I didn't need external help in the early days because I was, I'd had so much success. But um, it turns out that yeah, you you do you 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 shouldn't be arrogant. You sh- uh, or sorry that we don't know everything, and it's better to be talking talking to people and surrounding yourself with others. So I woke up a few months later, uh, metaphorically speaking, and thought, well, I'm 200 grand in debt. My marriage is over. Can't save that. Um, I can either go and get a day, shut the business down, go and get a day job and, and take 20 years to pay off this debt, however long it is, or I can pull my finger out and rebuild, get get support, get guidance and and rebuild the business. So I was like, yeah, I don't want to go back to a day job. So I rebuilt that business and built it into a seven fig- nice seven-figure business making profit and took it to the point where I was able to sell it. So I had the highs, the lows, and then I rebuilt it and got it to a point where my sales manager said, hey, Tristan, I want to buy the business from you. So, and that was perfect timing because I, I got to the point where it wasn't enough of a challenge for me, for me anymore. And so that's my journey until I was about 30, 31. And then there's a whole another story from there. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So that is interesting. Like we have that in common where uh, I've always been an entrepreneur, right? Like, well, always Kind of, sort of, but uh, it's one mm-hmm. of those things that, uh, you know, the day job things really didn't sit well, at, you know, for most of my life, we'll say. And I've always ventured off the same way. I had uh, the height of my success in my mid-20s, and I sold off that business in my late 20s. And uh, yeah, the whole day job thing is something I didn't want to go back to. So I'm still in business. <laughs> Just <laughs> <before>. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that I could actually do a day job. I don't think I, I'm employable by anyone. So I, I don't know. I don't know how to work a forty-hour work week. I don't know how to. Yeah, I know how to help others, but yeah, definitely couldn't do the day job. That's for sure. Well, look, you said you started off with a day job, right? Like, so mm. when you got that original day job, was it just to make money? Was it part of growing up? Like, I mean, look, let's be honest we're both from an like we're roughly close to each other's age and we both come to that whole uh, era of where parents were like go to school get a good education to get a good job so you can uh, get married have kids mm-hmm. have the white picket fence and you know and, and for some sense you started off that journey that way now was yeah. it just something you innately did or was that part of your programming like everybody else I honestly didn't know what I wanted in, in my late teens and early twenties, so I I did what I thought I should be doing, what I what I thought every what I thought was the right thing. So, uh, and that was that was to go to uni to get a good job and uh, and build a career off the back of that. So uh, that's what like I didn't know any anything else. So yeah, you do the people that surround you. You, you go on the same path as them. So and that's that's effectively what I did. And then I learned along the way that it, oh, maybe this isn't for me, this journey. Let's change journeys. Makes sense. In a way, it's uh, courageous for you to have done that as well. I mean, so, there's too many people out there that just stick around doing things they don't like, things they don't fit in with, things, you know, that they feel that they don't belong and that they don't 
you know, that it's not for them, but they never do anything about it. They just keep going on and wishing and all that. And, you know, an entrepreneur is a bit different. They're worth, a bit, uh, in a, you know, wired a different way. They're uh, built it's, different ways. It's a shame. Like so many of us live our life on other people's goal plans, as in what society, what we think society expects of us or what we think our parents expect, expect of us or our friends. Uh, and we, we go through the motions and it's not necessarily what we want to do and what makes us happy or fulfilled. And the sooner we realize, think about, are we living our life on our goal plans or on someone else's, the sooner we can become fulfilled and happy with our daily lives. You couldn't have said it better, right? Like, I mean, we spend too much time living other people's lives and not living our own. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm very self-aware. So I, I knew from a young age, that I did not want to be doing, you know, living life for other people. Um, not that it's an easy journey. I mean, let's be honest, there's ups and downs. Too many times people think that progress and growth are just like this. And reality is it's up and down, wavy, and all over the place. There's times that you have so much money, you're going, okay, I should buy a Ferrari. And then you <laughs> blink and you're going, mm, I got a credit card balance and nothing in the bank. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah. yep been been there done that so and 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 i've learned from that and learned how how to do financial forecasting and realized that some months are better than others and just because february is an amazing month doesn't mean march is going to be an amazing month so we actually have to learn how to save and how to budget there's a concept <laughs> <laughs> it's simple 101 but as an entrepreneur or a business owner uh so many business owners that I work with don't know how to create a, a simple business budget. So you're always living, being reactive rather than proactive, just chasing the next sale. That's not always the right thing to be doing. That's almost never the right thing to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's still true, right? And again, that's part of the learning lessons. And here, there may be an opportunity. If somebody's into financing, finances mm. and they heard this. There's an opportunity to build a business around teaching entrepreneurs the whole financial structure. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And actually putting in place checks and balances and, and um, uh, yeah, checks and balances to protect yourself so you, you don't go backwards. Exactly. So anybody's listening and watching and takes that idea, we'll put our names and addresses below so this way you can set royalties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, so we get a commission, 10% 10, 10 of every sale. There we go. <laughs> so with that being said, I mean, you sold that business, your sales manager bought it, and I'm assuming mm. that you got a decent buck. Well, it was decent enough that you took it. Uh, and yep. what did you do from there? I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do next. So I did a bit of a bit of consulting, a bit of contracting for a period of time. And and then like I didn't need to work. So it was just just for a bit of bit of fun in the short term. And I I eventually went on holiday to Europe with my with my new partner Erin, and we spent a, I can't remember how many weeks or months we were over there, but I remember a conversation that we were having in Croatia in, in Dubrovnik over a couple of glasses of red, and it's like Tristan, what do you want to do with your life now, and well, what are you good at? And we're going through this conversation, and it's like you've always been a leader, uh, and you've always been captain of the sports teams. You've always wanted to help people and bring people along a journey with you. And you've actually got experience running businesses. You know what the highs and the lows are. Why don't you go and help other business owners? 
And it's like, that's when the penny dropped. I had, the, I've got the skill set, I've got the experience. Why don't I go and help other business owners? So when we're in Croatia, that was when Evolve to Grow was born and came back from there. And now I, I'm working with, uh, with business owners to help them on their journey to help them scale their Mount Everest and make sure that they don't fall off the beaten path off the side of the mountain. Makes sense. Now, with that being said, I mean, that's a great concept. That's a great thing, but it comes with challenges, I'm sure. Totally. So uh, for me personally, one of the biggest challenges is uh, when clients come to me with their pains or, or their their issues, me not taking them on personally. So if a, if a client is, is struggling, uh, me not taking on their emotions um, and, and their issues personally, I think it's a fa- failure on my behalf. So I've got what I've had to learn being in this space is, is to separate um, my, my emotions from the business to make sure that my business grows and I can actually uh, help my clients. So uh, it's one of the most important things is that whilst, whilst we're, we're a small business owner, uh, our personal life and our business life are very much intertwined. We have to separate the emotions out of that and have a separate identity for, for our business as, as to our personal life. Because if we have a, if our identity with our business is tied into our identity for ourselves, when there's massive issues, our, our emotions will spiral out of control and it'll be so much harder to get out of that. Ironically, you know what? I have that problem myself. It's one of those things that um, you like to think that it's not your problem. Like you're providing a service, you're providing a service or a product, and you're doing your best at it. But look, I mean, look, one of my businesses, I mean, I got more than one, but one of my businesses, real estate. And mm-hmm. um, I've been, you know, it's been a little wacky for the last uh couple of years for lack of a better description <laughs> yes and, it's been an interesting time in the real estate space yeah and i found myself to be a little bit more uh, like prime example we go into a bidding war and my clients lost out i find there was times where i found myself more pissed off than they were like they're sitting there going ah well we tried time to move on and i'm sitting there you know, you know, all bent out of shape. And uh, I'm sitting there going, well, wait a minute. Why am I the one bent out of shape? <laughs> it's not my home. <laughs> it's like, but somehow, I guess I got emotionally wrapped. So that's that's a good point. And I, I guess that comes with any kind of business, right? Because if you're doing something and you're doing it for the right reason, it's not about the money, but about the service mm-hmm. and about that, what you, you know, the difference you can make in, your, in other people's lives. And I guess that's what contributes to those emotions. Yeah, totally. So um, because you're so engaged with make, getting a result for for your client and making sure you're also getting money for yourself to feed your family, but uh, it's it, it's about rewiring our mind to know that are we putting our best foot forward all the time and are we owning our relationships with our clients? And if we're owning those relationships... Um, and putting our best foot forward all the time, everything else should follow on from that. Absolutely. Now, with all this being said, like, I, and I'm not sure if you've had this moment yet or not. I mean, we know you've had it with the last business because you sold it and you did quite well with it. But 
when we build a business, there's always those moments of doubt. And there's always those moments of triumph as well. But there's mm-hmm. one in particular that I find that most entrepreneurs get. And sometimes they don't get it till later on. It's what I call that aha moment. And it's that aha moment where that self-doubt comes under control. You kind of see where things are heading. And you can tell that it's going the right way or not the right way. And you kind of figure out your path or what you want. And you finally, you know, you may not be there, but you know you're on your way there. And you're just like, aha, I did it. This is where I'm going to be going and I'm in the right spot. Have you had that moment yet? Well, to a certain extent, just two days ago, I received a message from a client who just signed up um, to my my program. And he, and he sent me a message after his first group call. He said, just in that call, I've had a, a, a mindset shift in the way that I operate my business and I can see the path path forward now. So just getting that, that feedback from, from a client shows that, like, if I'm questioning myself about the impact that I'm having, that just proves to me that I'm actually having a positive impact on clients. And I just need to remind myself when I'm questioning my ability to help other business owners that I'm actually getting positive feedback that I've been able to give, give them a mindset shift in the way that they view their business within within one hour. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what, like when you go, when you're out there and you're, and you're picking up new business, like how do you prospect? Like how do, how do your clients find you? Ah, good question. So I, I actually do lots of different ways of prospecting. So uh, I've got the mindset that uh, I know who my target client is uh, and I know how I can help them. So my mindset is that if I don't reach out to them and and attempt to start a conversation, I'm doing them a disservice. So if we're talking specific prospecting, I I don't have an issue um, connecting with people on LinkedIn, on Facebook, via email, and introducing myself and starting a conversation. And I would say over 60% of my client base comes from, from outreach like this. I, I do get referrals, but uh, the majority of my client base comes from me reaching out to people that I otherwise don't know other than maybe a few mutual business connections. Interesting, right? I mean, there's different ways to get business out there, and I just found that fascinating um, because, you know, there are similarities to my business where it's about building relationships and getting out there and connecting with people. And there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? Like, mm. and not everybody has to do things the same way. But in, in essence, you're a people business as well, right? So yeah. the fact that you go out there and reach out to them, have a conversation, build that relationship, you know, there's a, very, there's a lot of similarities there. Now, and where I'm going with this is, so in some ways, like the olden days, sales calls would be, you know, the whole yellow pages or whatever, you'd find the numbers through that book and call out people and get you hung up on and, <laughs> you know, like, and yep. uh, time's progress. How has yeah. your business, like, how, how, like, how, like, what's the technological, um, like, how has technology impacted your business is where I'm going with it? Uh, if I didn't have the internet, I wouldn't be in business. That's a simple, simple way. Um, but 
because I do everything remote. So I wouldn't have the lifestyle I wanted without the internet. Uh, but in terms of going back to the prospecting component, technology, uh, there's so many tools that allow you to, to legally build lists uh, to, connect, uh, to find and connect with people. So uh, you can search through Facebook, through all the different groups. Same thing with LinkedIn, LinkedIn Sales Navigator. That's technology. It's, it's very basic AI, but um, that's like I wouldn't be able to connect with uh, people all across the country and in the states. I wouldn't be able to connect with you without to, doing the uh, using these this this building techniques. But what's really interesting, and a lot of people are talking about it at the moment. Have you heard of ChatGPT? Oh God, have I? It's starting to pop up everywhere. <laughs> it's popping up everywhere. So. But if we're talking about technology, that has got the potential to be a game changer for so many businesses, uh, creating creating ad outlines, creating uh, article outlines, creating content for training programs, uh, just feeding the basic information in chat GPT is as scary as it is. It's got the ability to el- eliminate the need for staff within a business so i can see already how i can save probably two or three thousand dollars a month by using this chat gpt program if it actually is as functional as it appears to be right now that's interesting right like i'm i got mixed feelings about this right in some Mm. ways it could be a good thing and again this is so early on that I'm not fully aware of all the features and all that stuff. It's just been popping up in my radar. I would say, even to be honest, in the last 48 hours. Yeah, it's it's been on my radar probably for the last two weeks, um, and I spent a, a few hours yesterday playing with it and testing it out. So, uh, yeah, you're talking about technology and how that's changed my business, and I can see uh, that artificial intelligence has got the potential to move businesses to the next level over the, the coming months. It's not, it's not five, 10 years away. It's, it's the next couple of years. Yeah. Now I'm going to bring up another thing, right? Cause, uh, and it could be sensitive. It's going to be a little off topic here, but since we're into this, uh, AI conversation, I'm going to explore it. Now, a few years back, Elon Musk had said that he believes that artificial intelligence is going to basically change all our work and the majority of us are going to be living off of a government check while our AI kind of takes over. Um, I don't know if I believe it's going to go hundred percent to what he's saying in my lifetime, but I believe that at some point in time, he may be right. That's my thought. Now, now again, don't get me wrong. I think our work, our workplace is going to change fundamentally as technology develops. I just don't think it'll get to the level that he said in my lifetime. What are your thoughts? Like, do you think the robots are taking over? Like, are we living, are we gearing up to basically, like with CERB, or, you know, like basically the last, um, our COVID shutdown, <laughs> was that mm-hmm. a, a test to see what our future is like, you know, in terms of uh, living off of government checks while uh, the robots work? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And whether or not it happens in our lifetime, it wouldn't surprise me if it happens uh, to an extent in the future. Uh, one of my one of my colleagues or friends over, over on the other side of Australia, he had a 
business with, I think, 16 staff. He's been able to reduce it down to four staff and service, service his clients the same just by using artificial intelligence. See? And, and, that, and that's my point, though. That's, that's I, a I scary bit. Yeah. Now, at what level do you not have clients because nobody's working? Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, that's a scary thing. So uh, what happens when nobody's working? There's got to be people or does it have to be people controlling the artificial intelligence? Yeah, and at the, the moment, it does. Uh, again, I don't think 100% of the work is going to be gone. No. But we're going to see a mass reduction in comparison to today. And yeah. so that's what I'm saying. So if, if, if all these people are working, not working, I mean, and getting government checks, who's paying taxes? And what does that do to society? Yeah. Uh, and again, even the mental health, right? So, so it, it's kind of scary of what could happen here. I'm not sure I want to consider what would happen. <laughs> so... <laughs> Because <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Like, if people aren't working, uh, people aren't paying taxes. Uh, My I theory is that the government's going to start taxing the machines and taxing the output of the machines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I don't know. If that's what you know. What's going to happen with people's, uh, you know, mental uh, state or uh, what they're going to do because. I don't know. Like, and again, it, like we can preach all we want. It's not like it's not going to happen. Look, look, I'm going to take Walmart. I'm not sure if you have a Walmart in your, uh, where you are. No, we don't have Walmart in Australia, but I know, I know about Walmart. Okay. Yeah. yeah. When they first came out, they were just cheaper than everybody. Right. So, and I remember when they first came out, I was uh, resistant. And one of those things I looked at it and everybody I know is like, oh, got to go to Walmart. It's so much cheaper. And I said, this is going to be the beginning of the end of the high-paying jobs. Because what will happen is everybody will jump, you know, jump ship, and they're all going to go cheap, 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 and get everything low-cost, and there won't be any high-end service or very little of it. So what ends up happening is we're going to find ways to reduce jobs and ways to pay people lower because the ones that pay people higher will just go out of business. Everyone says, you know, everyone had their excuses. Fast forward and look what's happening. A good chunk of our jobs are minimum wage. Um, even our minimum wage or jobs are being replaced by robots. Like you go to a Canadian tire, you go to a grocery store, they have self-checkouts. You have one person in one line with that's still the traditional where, you know, they're checking you out. The remainder of the lines are self-serve robots you have yeah. one security guard to make sure you pay and don't just walk out the door so yeah, basically it's what, happening all over australia at the moment as well and yeah so where we used to have six to eight people working that line it's down to two and it won't be long before even that one that's in human will be gone and it'll be just the security guard yeah so and it's really interesting you see the comments um online uh people aren't aren't actually happy that that this is happening so everyone wants the cheaper prices but they they also want the human touch so it's like is it is it going to stay like this for long or is there going to be a pushback and people and and your supermarkets and your big chains are actually going to bring people back in because of 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 what the clients are saying yeah it's uh 
I think the only way that they can win is if they stop buying. Yeah. That's what it comes down to, right? The 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 basically the income dictates the outcome. Yep. So uh, and it applies both ways, right? Why did they entertain this? Because it was a cheaper way to do it. Now I'll give you an example. If a if a retailer had to pay employees and just say that employee cost was sixty thousand a week mm-hmm. and the robot cost was fifty eight thousand, they probably wouldn't make the jump. It wouldn't be worth it. But what ends up happening is the wage goes up and the robot production does not so that uh what probably is happening now the investment into the robots and the cost of uh, of salaries over the years have come pretty close so they probably look at it and said it's two years salary worth of investment and we pay them once and the maintenance is a lot cheaper exactly right so So it's scary it's very scary out there but hey you know what it doesn't mean there's no opportunities Look, we're on camera, we're doing podcasting, and we're talking on camera. Um, mm. 20 years ago, if somebody says there was an opportunity to earn a living doing this, it would have been the biggest joke on the planet. Exactly. And yet and here we are. And we're here now, and people are making money from it. Right. So. Right. When social media started getting big, people would post pictures of the food. First question is, who gives a shit what people are eating? Why do people post that? Why would anybody want to? see that then i posted my first you know meal on social and that was the biggest engagement i've ever gotten and i'm like really like people really cared that i went out for chinese Mm -hmm. food that day it's ridiculous that's the way it is human mind is human mind is interesting yeah so i found that very uh very intriguing right and yeah so i i think the future is going to be a lot of opportunities and there's going to be a lot of just, shifts at the same time. Yeah, and it's just not going to be what it is today. So we have to, when we see changes or shifts in society and in technology, ra- rather than just watching it, if we want to be a step ahead of everyone else, we have to be an early adopter. Because yeah. in, in previous times, shifts or changes would take years or, or decades. Uh, with the advent of of the internet shifts and changes take months and year uh, months to years now. So we have to be a lot more agile. And if we're not being agile, watch out. Yeah, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. And look, here's the proof about 22 years ago, everyone was talking about the internet as if it was some fad or disease that was just going to go away. Yeah. Right. Websites came, uh, you know, were became started getting popular mid '90s, late '90s, and um, people look at that and said, "Nah, I don't need that crap." You know what I mean? Like, uh, what what a scam! Mm. And 2022 websites are not that important, but because they had their heyday already, but they didn't mm. go away. They're still important in terms of people use that as validation to make sure you're a real person, but. It didn't go away. In fact, what we used to use was radio, television, print ads. Those have become less relevant. Not the website, not the social media, not the internet. Not to say that the fast news. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, that, that the old traditional ways don't work. 
I'm just saying they don't work the way they used to, and they're not the predominant way of getting info out there. We've we've learned we want information as soon as we can, and we've learned that we can get information straight away through the internet. So that's why websites, why social media uh, are so addictive because we can get information today rather than wait until tomorrow's newspaper or tonight's news. Right. That's why my biggest piece of advice to people is don't marry the platform, marry the attention, right? You want to go wherever the attention is. It doesn't matter where it is. Look, Facebook dies down. Who gives a crap? Instagram dies down. Who gives a crap? There'll be a new platform that'll replace it and just follow Mm -hmm. the attention and be the dominator in the, uh, in that attention space. And the earlier you adopt to that platform, the easier it will be for you to be on top just for the fact that exactly. you were there first. Yes. You need to understand where your audience hangs out. Exactly. And that's exactly it. So with that being said, I mean, we've discussed your, um, your, uh, oh, what do you call it? Prospecting. Now somebody, re- you reach out to someone, someone's receptive to your message. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, before we move on from prospecting, let's go back there. You say you use LinkedIn to, uh, to build relationships and get to know people. Now, my, 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 what am I trying to say? My experience <laughs> with LinkedIn has not been a very good one, right? I, um, other than the fact that I get a lot of attention and views, it's, mm. uh, to me, it's a useless platform. Um, just popularity is the only reason why I still have it. Uh, and my reasoning is here. The only messages I get from LinkedIn is wonderful messages on how they can help my clients with whatever the person's selling. Now, I've been in my business long enough that I've got my resources. I don't need help. need extra. Yeah. So it's like, you know what? If I'm still looking around for the basic services to help with my client, and I've been in the business this long, chances are I'm doing very good. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So, So the ones that are receptive have no clients, and the ones that have clients don't need you. And so what I, where I'm going is, it's not that LinkedIn is not a good platform. It's just most people don't approach it properly. Going into Correct. somebody's inbox and saying, I can help you and your clients. Yeah. That doesn't work. No. So yeah. where I'm going with this, and I took the long way to get there, is what is your approach and how do you get yourself in there? A, my content is polarizing so i know who my my audience is and i know what what my audience pain points are so any of my content is directly talking to them and it's it's opinionated so uh it will turn people off that don't have those pain points or don't fit within my audience so that's so i'll have those people connected with me watching listening reading that content and then when i'm having conversations with people in the chat function it's not saying i can pitch them it's sorry it's not saying i can help them it's having a conversation and learning where they are in business and what's working for them and what's not working for them because there's no point pitching someone that that you don't have a service for so i rather than going out saying hey i think i can help you have that conversation say where are you right now What's working for you? What's not working for you? And and get to understand who who they are as a person and who their what their business is before going and saying, "Hey, yeah, I can help you." So that allows me 
to rather than pitching a hundred people that I speak to, I only maybe pitch five or six and, and I don't get that negative feedback from the other 95 that are saying, why are you pitching me? That's true. See, I love that, right? See, that is a much better approach. And I think more people will be receptive to that than yeah. stupid remarks. Do you need a painter? Do you need a mortgage broker? Oh, I can help your client secure a mortgage. Why? Because there's no one else in the world that can. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's, and your approach is way better. And again, your approach is, it goes back to building a relationship. It's not just about the buy, buy, buy or sell, sell, sell message. Yeah. It's, you, you need to, you need to actually understand the person first or the business before attempting to pitch them. Because if you don't understand them, what are you pitching them? They probably don't need your service. Yeah. And the other thing you brought up here in your example here is that it's also not as, you know, it's not just important to attract people to you or your services, but also to repel the wrong people. Correct. So, because if, if you've got the, that just saves you time. You don't have to worry about the wrong people coming to you asking for help and, and then, then being underqualified and not being able to afford you. Exactly. Love that. So now you've gone there, you've built a relationship with someone and they are interested in working with you. What is the process for that? What is the process? For if they're interested, I, I need to understand who they are, what their business is and what their pain points are. And, and, and from there, I've got to, I've got to work out whether or not their pain points are something that I can help resolve. Um, if they are, I then say, hey, here's my offer for you. But if they're, they might not have the correct pain points that I can resolve. So if that's the case, I need to disqualify them and refer them on to someone else. Because I don't want to be working with someone that is going to be difficult for me to help them achieve results. Uh, because I'm not going to enjoy it and they're not going to enjoy it. So it's really important when when you're starting to have a conversation with someone to fully qualify them to make sure that their pains and their issues are something that you can help with because my service is effectively productized and I don't want to go outside of that productization because it means that it's harder for me to, to or my business to help those clients. Right. I, I meant, I mean, we've already passed that part. You've already qualified them. They're interested in working. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we, I, I went past the whole, we've, uh, you know, went out there and uh, had that conversation on LinkedIn and you've already discovered what their business is. Yeah. yeah. So, so what, so what, so what can you reframe the question then? So what, so once, once they're fully qualified, how yeah, do once I they're qualified, you've handed them the offer and they're, okay. and they want to move forward. Like what's the process? How, how does the, how does your service work? Ah, so how does my service work? So literally my, what my offer looks like, it's a, it's a group coaching program. And, and what we do is in the early days, we understand where you are in your business, what's going on business, personal life. And then where, then we help identify where you want to get to in business and personal life. So many business owners don't actually have an ultimate objective with their business. So we help design and create that ultimate objective for you. And then from there, we reverse engineer a roadmap 
um, a journey for you to take to get there. And five years into the future, it's not very clear. But once we get to one year and three months, it's a lot more clear. And we can then identify at, let's say, the three-month period, what are the most important projects that you must be working on to get to your ultimate objective? And what things can we park that you think are important now but actually aren't going to help you get to your ultimate objective uh, in the simplest way possible? Fantastic. So... Perfect. Somebody works with you. Like, what is your retention like? Like, how long is your program? And do, um, like, some people have a certain thing where, you know, a certain point that they're done and there's no repeat. Some people have repeat programs. So, um, some people sort of the honor, like, they, you know, sometimes somebody has program one, they finish program one, and there's program two. Like, what so is it? I've, I've designed mine to be evergreen because at the end of the day, uh, we're on a whilst we're in business, we're in a, a continuous journey of growth, and so the way I've designed my program is for it to be evergreen. Uh, the, the frameworks just repeat uh, month on month, year on year. So we just we just have to to reevaluate every quarter where you are and and realign with your ultimate objective. And if we're talking retention, uh, I think right now. My average uh, lifespan of client is 27 months. So I don't really lose um, clients because they say that they're getting continual growth. So, uh, yeah, I my goal is that if you'll stay with me as long as you're continuing, continuing to grow or find improvements within your business. Which makes sense. That's the idea, right? So like that part. Um now, where do you see yourself uh, like going in the next couple of years? Like, what what is your objective? I mean, what or what is your uh, growth plan? For me and my business, uh, right now, I'm I'm the the linchpin. So, and whilst I've got others within the business, I I can't step away fully, and the business function perfectly without me. So, with and still get the same results for my clients. So. The plan is to, to extract myself from the business needing it, me, and, and still being able to deliver the same results for my clients. Wonderful. So with that being said, I'm going to get into two more questions before I go into what I call the lightning round. So cool. second last question is, how do you know you've had a successful day? How do you know you've had a successful day? That's a that's a really 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 good question, um, and no one's ever asked me that one before. <laughs> I think <laughs> that's a really good. You've got me stumped there because I've never ever, ever considered that one. So <laughs> it's got to be that I walk out of the office, uh, happy, smiling not thinking I need to go back into the office and I'm still full of energy and, and happy to happy spending time with Aaron and my son Emerson. Fantastic. That's a good answer. All right. Second last question before the lightning round is where do people find you? Easiest way is to, to, to jump on Google and type in Tristan Wright evolve to grow. And from there you'll be able to see my website and my social media channels. Very simple. 
Fantastic. Now let's get into the lightning round and the fun round. And it's going to be just a few personal questions that uh, are not relevant to business or politics. <laughs> um, question number one is, what is your favorite food? Oh, my favorite food. Uh, at the moment, it's got to be tacos. It changes all the time, but uh, love tacos at the moment. Seems to be a common answer in the last couple of months. <laughs> I guess tacos have been uh, a growing uh, trend. <laughs> Yeah, so, I don't know. It's, they're easy to eat, and there's so many different variables uh, from them. True. Favorite vacation spot and why? Ooh. Um, I go to so many different places, and I think it's it's got to be warm weather near a beach. So, uh, yeah, so as, as long as it's warm weather and near a beach, that's, that's what makes me happy all right so anywhere that's warm <laughs> yeah all right um favorite book favorite book uh i read so many fiction books uh i couldn't tell you your favorite one uh but if we're talking non-fiction uh david goggins and can't hurt me is a really good book interesting uh favorite podcast it's like yours, just to just to make you happy. Um, uh, no, honestly, <laughs> honestly, I don't have a favorite podcast. I listen to a few different ones, and they're all around business growth, business development, personal growth. So, yeah, it's, there's no specific favorite podcast. Okay, final question, but not least, is if you had unlimited amount of money and you could do whatever you want with it, but you have to spend it in 48 hours... Um, what you spend, you get to keep. What you don't spend, you lose. What would you do? Ooh. Um, set up foundations to teach people how to manage money and ensure people were... And then, then transfer money to as many people as possible and so they an amount that will allow them to live their life um but ensure that that all those people were taught how to to manage money at the same time so because there's so much inequality in the world and part of part of it is they don't have money but another part is they don't know how to manage money right. so if we can teach people how to manage their money and uh, and provide them money. That's going. Surely, that's got to bring up the the quality of living across across the world. I love that answer. It's uh, I purposely ask it that way versus saying if someone gave you a million dollars, what would you do? Because when you ask them that million dollar questions, it's all oh, buy a Ferrari or buy a Lamborghini, and it's all stuff because they f that comes out tends to be stuff that people feel they need to say and less about what mm. they truly mean. And mm. uh, but when I word it the way I did. All of a sudden, there's no real uh, desire to mention that Ferrari. So all of a sudden, it becomes the well. What do I really want? And yeah, what's the impact? That. What's the real yeah. impact you want to have? Exactly. So right. that's the way I kind of why I word it that way. Yeah, I like awesome. that one. <laughs> Thanks. Awesome, buddy. This has been a phenomenal show. I want to say thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Absolute pleasure. 
If you like what you see and you want to see more episodes, subscribe to the link below.